and welcome back to Dear Adam Silver, a show dedicated to creating and discussing alternative perspectives on sports from the viewpoint of an artist. I am your host, Abigail Smithson, and my guests today are Gabe and Jamie, also known as the Menschwarmers of the Menschwarmers podcast. In their own words, Gabe and Jamie are Jews. They also love sports, but most of all, they love Jews in sports. Menschwarmers is their bi-weekly podcast where they gab about goings-on, interview fascinating industry figures, and keep you updated on everything related to Jews and sports. I was excited to have the chance to speak with them about Jewish sports stuff and beyond. They are also Canadian, which made for a heated discussion of the 2019 NBA Finals, which actually did not make the final cut of the podcast. Anyways, these guys are great. Subscribe to the Menschwarmers wherever you get your podcasts. Follow them on Twitter at Menschwarmers. And I don't think I've ever said the word mensch as much as I have in this intro and on this podcast. So yes, thank you so much for listening. I hope you all enjoy this episode. And please share, rate, and review Dear Adam Silver. And thank you for your support. I actually love this as an aspect of your podcast, just guessing if people are Jewish or not. I really, oh, yeah. um, I was yeah. cracking up when you were talking about Pat Riley. <laughs> Pat Riley's Jewish. You know, you know, <laughs> hair. He does, and also he lives in South Florida with the hair. Like he, that's true. There's, there's some things working there. Um, well, that well I, two <laughs> things. One on on Pat Riley, we should we should remember that the connection. Um, Pat Riley inspired Gordon Gecko in Wall Street, the hair and the shirts and and all that, and mm-hmm. and Gordon Gecko was of course played by Michael Douglas who is Jewish right um, and, and that maybe that's why we were confused on that one but I mean sometimes I, I think it's sort of the the impetus for the podcast in the first place was sort of this game that I think every Jew most Jews play in in sports and in uh you know pop culture and everything where it's just it's just a high five knowing who's Jewish you know it's just oh he's Jewish he's Jewish she's Jewish. yeah you know, a, a oh, Jewish person, Jewish. yeah. A Jewish person who had listened to the show for the first time once said to me, "Like it is endlessly fascinating to think about who's Jewish and who isn't." Absolutely, and you I know, think that I, is, and especially, especially in the context of sports, which I, you know, I think part of why we have enjoyed doing this is because there's this, uh, you know, there's that the joke in in the movie Airplane about you know uh, light reading uh, a pamphlet on the the history of great Jewish athletes. I'm angling the joke, but the point is uh, the idea, the, the idea that there are so few that they fit, fit into it. The idea that there are so few Jewish athletes that a list of all of them would fit into a pamphlet um, rather than a book. And, you know, I think one, that's just not true. Um, you know, we've profiled lots, lots and lots of, of Jewish athletes going back hundreds, of, you know, more than a hundred years now, boxers from the 19th century, uh, you know, in our most recent podcast, I know you, you spoke to Andrew Moranis as well and, or Marinus as well. And, uh, you know, all these Jews who were involved in the 1936 Olympics, uh, and through today and, and all the Jews who are involved in professional sports. And I do think there's a certain element of Jewish pride that, that comes with, uh, you know, knowing that some of the, some of your favorite stars or, or some of your favorite athletes are, are Jews. And the, I mean, there's a million connections to, we talk, we've talked a lot on our show about David Beckham, who has, you know, recently come to Judaism as you know, he found out a grandmother was Jewish. So he decided like, all right, I'm in. Right. And I like, I mean, you started off with uh, Julian Edelman, who is now, you know, sort of like making news with his um, Judaism again recently, which I'd love to also unpack a little bit, but um, just that um, this idea of also that there's, probably plenty of 
Jewish players that we're just not aware of as well because they're not, they maybe don't know or they're just not advertising and it's not something that they uh, choose to to share. Something Ike Davis once said, I'm just, yeah, you thought it remind me of a story, something Ike Davis, who's a baseball player who's Jewish, said like he never grew up religious. His parents were pretty much not Jewish. And actually Sage talks about this on our podcast too. But like, as soon as you reach a certain level of fame and you're Jewish, like the Jewish fans will find you. And, and they'll, you'll, you'll become their guy because you're Jewish and it's rare. Sure. Yeah. And I think Edelman is probably the best example of this as as someone who I think, uh, you know, grew up relative, you know, pretty secular and, and to be fair, like, you know, neither of us are religious, like neither of us are approaching this from a religious perspective and um, outside of a few Israeli athletes, it's really the very rare um, Jewish athlete who has been brought up, you know, super observant or, or Orthodox or anything like that. But uh, Julian Edelman, you know, grew up relatively secular, didn't really have much interest in Judaism for most of his career, and, you know, ch- changed his approach to that to, to a certain degree at some point in the last five years or so, uh, you know, probably for a number of reasons. And in the same way that, you know, lots of people come to things later and later in life or in their 20s or 30s. Um, and I think now has has taken up the mantle as a, as a very prominent Jewish athlete uh, who is looked to and wants to be looked to to respond to certain things on behalf of the Jewish athletic community, um, to you know be a representative of the, of the Jewish community within the NFL and within the sports world, and we, and we saw that a few weeks ago when when Myers Leonard, um, as we said, did an anti-Semitism on a, on a live stream, and uh, the you know, worst Julian anti-Semitism, one, I mean, the yeah. worst the worst verbal perhaps the worst verbal one, yeah. And, and Julian Edelman was the one who reached out and, and you know posted the post the thing, uh, you know, inviting him to some sort of, you know, to a Shabbat dinner or reconciliation attempt and things like that. And, you know, who knows where it goes? I mean, you know, Julian Edelman is a, is a guy who still has a career and, and, and still has a role, you know, to play. He, he shouldn't be responsible for, you know, redeeming every anti-Semite scrub on the Miami heat, but uh, it it is impressive. It is impressive to see him take on that mantle and be, you know, be the guy for all intents and purposes uh, saying, you know, I'm a visible Jewish athlete and I want to represent my people in a certain way. And I think that it's, I mean, it's, it's a great example within the Jewish community. And it's also just something that people can, you know, hold on to from other communities potentially. Um, I think that it's just a good example for how to sort of, uh, there's lots of choices to be made in how you react to someone being so saying something so vulgar and offensive and and awful and um, it it's not I think it's good that he did that I I think I had a thought that that no one else has agreed with me about this yet so maybe I'll test it out with you guys and see how it goes but I just felt that his statement was strange how it ended on we'll have some fun or something like that because I felt like. I, I want I want I I don't think it has to be fun. I mean I don't think it has to not be fun. I think it can be fun and it can also be very serious, like learning about the history of this word or whatever it is or or learning about Jewish culture. Like it just he doesn't it felt like he was like a little bit trying to sell Myers Leonard on like, come to the Shabbat, it'll be fun. It's like, well, not, it doesn't have to be. Like he doesn't have to it, it could be not fun and he could still come. Um so it was just a little bit of a tone thing that I felt strange about, but then I didn't wanna take away from like the menschiness of the um the, yeah, the I'm, I'm and not the sure offer. how many Shabbat dinners I've ever had true fun at. <laughs> Like it's, tri- it's tricky. Julian Edelman is a pro athlete. You know, he's not the he's not the Wiesenthal Center. Sure, uh, of course. <laughs> trying to trying to reeducate this guy. Look, I I sort of agree with you. I think um I, I think forgiveness is a Christian virtue, 
and uh, not necessarily a Jewish one. It, it doesn't mean that it never comes, but I, I do think that the Jewish, I, I think it's actually, you know, interesting to think the Jewish perspectives on forgiveness actually require a little bit more from the person asking from forgive asking forgiveness than an apology. You know, yeah. the, we don't have a we don't have a tradition of confession and an acceptance that people are are sinners and that's just the way it is. We're we're sinners and, and God redeems us. I think it's you're human beings. And if you make a mistake, you are responsible for it. And you are responsible for, you know, tikkun olam or uh, whatever you want to call it, that is going to make things right again. So look, again, I, I could really give two shits about Myers Leonard. Sure. I, you know, he, he is not an important person in, any, in anyone's life. But uh, in as much as he is going to be someone who we talk about in the future, you know, whatever, it, it will come up again with him as like, you know, um, he's trying to get back into basketball or he's meeting with certain communities or things like that. Okay. Let him do it. Let him do the work and, you know, let it be a lesson to other people to, I don't know if they're anti-Semites not air their views publicly, I guess, I, I, I guess don't be anti-Semites would be a, would be a better answer, but that's, that's a trickier thing to, to get. I want to compare this a bit. If you don't mind me jumping in to, to the recent, you know, and I, I, it's been in the news, but, you look at Charles Barkley as sort of a counterpoint. And, you know, Charles Barkley grew up in the 1960s and 1970s in rural Alabama, where, you know, in a, in a majority Black community when he was really young, and then went to Auburn, you know, which were probably there weren't a lot of Jewish people that he, uh, you know, associated with. And that was also probably true in, in Philadelphia in the 1980s, and, and Phoenix less so in Houston, which both have really big Jewish communities. But, you know, now his daughter is marrying a Jewish person. And last summer, you remember, or his daughter married a Jewish person. That happened already. But you remember last summer, he spoke up sort of in, in uh, about the importance of sort of brotherhood between the Black community and the Jewish community and sort of a shared struggle. Um, and you compare that to sort of Myers Leonard on a video game. Uh, and I think it shows a really big I don't want to call it maturity because I think that's the wrong word, but I think it shows a lot, the perspective of someone who's been through a lot more experience and someone who has a lot more exposure in a, not necessarily a, we're going to have so much fun way, but somebody who's actually thought about, you know, the plight of, of being a, a persecuted minority in North America. Well, I, I think, and also how those persecuted minorities are often sort of, um, used against each other, like that you, just to um, create strife and to create resentment towards each other rather than the people who are controlling uh, mm -hmm. or in the government. And it's so interesting also that you bring up Charles Barkley just because of the recent like discussion of the horror uh, at his yeah. daughter's wedding. And also, so the, the first segment that aired, I think, of the Inside the NBA after uh, Myers Leonard, after it was uh, public, publicly made known that Myers Leonard said this, like, I was a little disappointed in Charles Barkley because he was kind of he was kind of saying um, that uh, players should know they should be careful that things that they say right. maybe in the law or and and Kenny right. was like I don't want people to be careful I want people to know that that's just not something that that that, that they're just like. Um, they're aware enough and care enough maybe not being careful in the timid sense but like being careful and like you care about other groups you care about the history of the world whatever it is not to say such a word i mean i think it's like crazy to me that myers leonard could use that word with such anger and such uh frustration and then say he does not sure what it means right. um it's like that that feels like such a stretch i, I, I agree i i agree with kenny there i i want to see it out in the open and i think you could tell what the uh 
you know, the fluidity that it came off his tongue, that it wasn't the first time Myers Leonard had said that. And the idea that he didn't know what he was saying is nonsense. Um, well, you know, we I do talked think- about this on our show, Jamie, and just uh, that, you know, the, the esports community and the gaming community was much faster to repudiate Myers than the NBA was. Um, and I think that, I mean, that shows that they're at least a lot more aware of, you know, racist or anti-Semitic talk that happens in gaming. Like, well, a, I guess you it's, know, it's happened a lot of time in with people who stream or esports uh, people. I think so. Like, they, I think it's a known problem and not something or... that the NBA is is you know looking to hide or sweep under the rug or have a blanket fine for. It's true. I mean, look, I, I'm sure within locker rooms, there's all kinds of racist and homophobic talk that goes on in all sports. Uh, that's been an ongoing issue in hockey the last couple of years, uh, grappling with anti-black racism that seems seems pretty prevalent at the the higher uh higher levels of hockey just for abigail and and her audience hockey is a sport played on ice uh with five men on a side (laughs) or women wearing skates uh with sticks and pucks it sounds it sounds familiar um and i think i have at least one listener in canada so they'll appreciate this That's good. hockey. Lesson. Well, there's there's desert hockey. Uh, my my beloved Vegas Golden Knights are are kicking ass right now. Yes, and we we have a team in Phoenix as well. Um, I'm really yeah. out myself as like a not a thorough sports fan in this moment. Um, I don't know if Devils, we can air this. <laughs> to be honest, I'm, I'm not much of a hockey fan either, and it, it, it's a challenge because our our we're both Canadian and we're sure. you know, there's plenty of Jewish Jewish hockey players and. Sometimes exactly. I'll introduce it and say like, so Gabe, uh, tell me about Zach Hyman now. And, uh, you know, and he'll just have to go off. And Zach Hyman is the that. name of a hockey player who is quite <laughs> notably Jewish. Yeah. Right. Uh, I'm always no like, get back to me when the puck is like 10 times the size and then I'll watch. Like, it's just yeah. a little, I, I just want to see, I want to see more of where the, where the thing is going. I want to say about Charles Barkley also that I do respect a lot of the work he's done around like trying to have hard conversations like that show he did on for TNT and just also, I think that. He interviewed um, Richard Spencer. That's, yeah, he interviewed. Uh, yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, like I, I, um, in some ways I'm like, ah, Richard Spencer, like, I don't want him having a, uh, any other platform than he already has. And also I'm like, this person exists and, um, there's something about like shining a light on something, uh, that is, that is, couldn't be helpful. Um, so I, I do, I do want to like shout him out for that. And I just think that like, um, yeah, I think that the show does a good job of also talking about these issues in a, in a informative way. And I appreciate that. So. And also Charles Barkley leads off this podcast and I, I want to show my appreciation, even if he doesn't always say what I want him to say. <laughs> totally. I, I, again, I think it's a mixed bag. No question. Sure. So I do, um, I do want to talk about the title of your podcast and kind of give a little introduction to the podcast for people who are listening. Uh, because Please. when I heard the name Menschwarmers, something in my heart fluttered and I thought I want to be a Menschwarmer. Like that's because I think about basketball <laughs> so much about um, like I, I often think about uh, it as a game that exemplifies how much we need each other in order to be successful. And that if you're a Menschwarmer, it's just like having someone great on your team who's ready to pitch in when they're needed and ready to show up. And it's just like has that has that Mensch quality. And I've thought so much about like what what's a pass in everyday life? How can I be a part of a pass, a beautiful pass, just like walking down the street or whatever or an assist or whatever it is. And I just um, 
I aspire to be a mensch warmer, and uh, I'm just That's wondering so nice if you could you, <laughs> you could talk nice a little bit about the the name's origin because it seems like something that would be impossible not to get to eventually, but also it's just perfect. I, I don't know exactly where it came from, Gabe. I think we were just brainstorming, and, and you came up with it. Yeah, um, we were having lunch. We went yeah. for ramen. Is the actual story, and we were trying to think of clever punny names, and mensch warmers came up. And I think, I mean. They, I think part of the the joy of it is that Jewish players in a lot of sports traditionally have been more towards the warmer part of the mensch warmer. Right. Um, you know, it's it's having a Jewish athlete is one thing, but having a Jewish superstar is a totally different one. Um, and, 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 you know, in your context, especially in basketball, you know, it's been a long time since Dolph Shays and, and Omri Caspi was never really quite the hope we expected him to be. And I mean, we got we got several episodes discussing Denny Avdija. You know, we got a lot of a lot of hopes pinned to him. But uh, I think sort of one of the reasons I think the name really sticks with with people is I think that it it reflects both the the wide eyed attitude and the I don't want to call it a disadvantage necessarily, but sort of the the lack of of upfrontness that Jewish athletes tend to have. There's something. I, I think it was Sam Lipsight. I think that's who said it, said that, you know, most professional athletes use their genetics in order to gain an advantage, but Jewish professional athletes have to overcome them. <laughs> uh, and that's, well, that's sort of kind of part of the, the what makes the mensch warmers, I think, an effective idea is that it's, you know, we're not necessarily the superstars. You know, we might be riding the bench, but we're, we're trying to bring joy. Right. Trying not, to, not always the most athletically gifted, physically gifted people, but, you know, we, we can still contribute in other ways. I, I do think there's something, you know, um, beautiful about the idea of uh, what it means to be a mensch, uh, you know, without d- delving too much into Yiddish uh, or without needing to know that much Yiddish. You know, there is this idea of like a mensch, a good person. You know, it's not it's a man, literally, but it is a good man. It is, is someone who is helpful and considerate and cares about the world. And, uh, you know, I guess we're trying to put that out there in our in our approach. Uh, you know, it, it's nice that uh, that idea has been embraced by um, the Israel baseball team a couple of years ago when they were at the World Baseball or sorry, when they were at the World Baseball, yeah, the World Classic. baseball Classic. Yeah, they, they introduced the mensch on the bench, who is like the, the Jewish equivalent of the elf on a shelf. And, you know, that, that was a very clever idea. He became like the team mascot. Um, and I think that probably inspired us a little bit as well. Uh, the, you know, sort of a Jewish sports mascot, if, if ever there was one. Yeah. And it's so funny because recently my father, who's not Jewish, but married a Jewish woman and has two Jewish daughters, uh, has taken to calling my husband a mensch. <laughs> um, and it's That's just a really, nice. it's a really yeah. sweet thing. Like, and I think, you know, my, my dad grew up in um, Connecticut around a lot of Jewish families and like he has, you know, taken cultural elements from that and, and definitely with my, my mom's family as well. And it just, um, it's just my, my husband from Oklahoma is like being referred to as a mensch. Like, it's just kind of like a sweet, <laughs> a sweet, uh, this is wonderful thing to say. And I, I, that hap- that started happening around the time that I saw your podcast and I was like, this is great. <laughs> no, it's, it's true. We, and one of the things we talk about, I mean, with Jewish athletes, I think there's something about, you know, being a Jewish professional athlete where you kind of want to embrace the weirdness. Um, we've talked a lot. I, I don't know how much you follow world soccer. But there's a soccer player uh, named Mario Balotelli who gets a lot of, of really, frankly, racist coverage 
Um, he's, you know, of African descent, but Italian. And, and has been thought of a long time as sort of a head case. He, he kind of complained his way against the off the Nat Italian team, but he was adopted and raised by a Jewish family in, Ro in Rome, considers himself to be at least culturally Jewish. And like, like, I love that there's a weird athlete that has a weird story about being Jewish. Like I'm not, you know, he wants, you know, this is gonna sound crazy, but he once broke into a woman's prison because he got a love letter from an inmate that said like, Mario, I love you and I miss you, come meet me. So he did, you know, he's that kind of guy. And, and I'm so much happier that that kind of guy is a Jewish athlete or at least Jewish adjacent than just some boring story. Yeah, and I feel like Judaism can also be practiced and celebrated and interacted with in, in so many different ways too. It's just nice to see like the different forms that, that it can take, you know, within when you're talking about like all these different athletes that like everyone kind of has a little bit of a different story and you know there's julian edelman who there's all kinds of benches out there like different later ways. on and and is now it's like he's like kind of the spokesperson for jewish people or or athletes and um i just think that uh there's just it's just nice to that it's it's so it's a big tent of a culture which is a nice thing. I mean, I don't think all, every Jewish person would say that, um, but it's definitely the the type of um, uh, the cult. That's the type of culture that I would like to to be a part of and be identified with. Definitely, yeah. We we've definitely taken the the Big Ten approach in terms of who we consider Jewish. I mean, David Beckham's a good example. I think you know a quarter Jewish, never really raised with it, but we'll claim him. I mean, you know, we do sort of need numbers sometimes uh, when we're. I think we're I think the term Jewish is athletes. buffet Judaism, and you know you take that approach. <laughs> You just take what you want. Buffet Judaism, yeah, a little bit of this. Yeah. And we've seen that approach for, for you know, most most notably in the Israeli baseball team, which has, you know, recruited, and not, obviously there's not that many Israeli baseball players, but they've recruited from uh, guys in the States who have Jewish descent, who would qualify for Israeli citizenship and can play under that banner. And, um, you know, we talked about uh, in one of our earliest episodes, a, a documentary about that uh, called Coming Home. Uh, that was the story about Israel baseball, the World Baseball Classic. And it's just, you know, sort of amazing how um, all these guys sort of, most of them didn't have much understanding of Judaism or, or much relationship to it. But through sports, they were brought into the tent in, in, in a certain way. And, uh, you know, it really changed a lot of their lives, both, you know, and aside, you know, just from a connection to Israel, but just in terms of being a Jewish athlete and, and being an American Jewish athlete, what, what that meant for them really made them part of a, a, a different and a new, it is uh, it's a, a specific culture and i you know it helps i think that a lot of jewish people in north america tend to be urban and fairly culturally attuned um both of which loan themselves to sports fandom right yes and and what sort of so we have the how the name came to be but how did you decide that this was like something that needed its own I mean, you're both Jewish and sports fans, as far as I can tell. But and like, how did this was like a podcast space to be filled? Um, yeah, I think one of the we had a bunch of ideas. Um, I think I was I had just come back from a year of traveling. I quit my like, you know, corporate journalism job to go traveling. And, you know, now I'm just a full on corporate guy. But you know, I was looking, we were looking for something to do. We thought it was a good idea. One of our original ideas was to have a podcast where we break down and discuss Leonard Cohen songs. Um, but this seems like a better, sure. this seemed like a better uh, uh, niche to fill. You always have new way. material with this at Ali or there, you know, it's true. evolving. That's yeah, it, it, 
yeah, I think we were looking for something as an outlet to to sort of have these chats. You know, we've been friends for for a long time. Not, neither of us are, are journalists by uh, well, Gabe, Gabe has some history in journalism, but neither of us are, are professional journalists. But um, you know, I think it was just it it really came from that idea of like it always being a talking point that, you know, if we were watching a basketball game or a baseball game or whatever to say, you know, he's Jewish, that coach is Jewish or, you know, this guy, you know, he, he went to school with this guy and, and, and uh, learning those connections, you know, we're both guys who enjoy the sort of trivia and minutia about, um, about sports and, and learning about those things and, and approaching it from the Jewish angle, I think was, was something that really interested us. And, and I think early on, there was an idea of like, well, again, you know, how much material is this, is this going to be? But, we've surprised ourselves with how much, how, how deep it is and how much material there continues to be about, about this sort of world of Jews and sports. It, it keeps going. We haven't even, I mean, you have an LSU collection. We haven't even talked about Alex <laughs> Bregman on our own podcast mm-hmm. yet. Yes. And that's, I mean, that's happening next week. So stay tuned listeners. But uh, we've, it's, I think, yeah, like, like exactly like Jamie said, it's sort of something we've always noticed. You know, you always, and, and basketball is a great example. Like that's, there was a rumor going around. We unfortunately had to disprove it, but there was a rumor going around during that 2019 finals that Fred Van Vliet a, a was actually Jewish. It existed only because we, we happened to see on his Wikipedia page that it said that he, that, that yeah, he was somebody Jewish. wrote on his Wikipedia and, uh, that he was Jewish. Yeah, you know, it's it's been a it's been a fun thing to learn for ourselves, <laughs> like digging into it because you know often there is like a source on whether or not an athlete's Jewish. It's on Wikipedia. Someone someone's written an article about it or some Jewish magazine or newspapers written an article about it, but not always. And also not often with uh, younger guys or like guys who are getting drafted or playing in college. And like the amount of digging we've done through like people's Instagram to see like, well, you know, there's a gap, there's a gap here. There's no Christmas <laughs> post, but there's no Hanukkah post. So it's not definitive. We got to go further back and, you know, checking names and stuff like that. It, it, <laughs> Is that a menorah exactly. in the it's background? A, it's a bit of a forensic, like... <laughs> forensic oh, yeah. investigation. So, you know, there's been a, there's been grandparents at the funeral home. It's for, it's for a good purpose. Oh so that's gosh. that's the good part of this that we're using our you're using our deductive powers for good here, just to to positively out uh, any Jewish athletes and and reach out to them if if we can. Right, and just to have a space to, a space for recognizing. I think again again comes back to this like celebration aspect. This idea of like recognizing and and having it all. Um, I'm remembering the Philadelphia. Uh, Jewish sports museum I went into um, that was like cram packed with like so much memorabilia um, and uh, just like that that to have like a space like that that you don't have to go to physically that is also like recognizing like the history recognizing like contemporary players like all of this stuff where it's like you don't actually have to um, sort of uh, you know if, if you can't get to the place you can still get the the information you can still learn and even just with um, Andrew Marinus's book like you just never know yeah. how, you know it's like I've known about the 1936 Olympics of course Jesse Owens and like you know how that Olympics is used symbolically to kind of push forward a narrative about the United States that like maybe perhaps we're better than other countries and things like that and then there's just like this other total story to unpack that has to do with James Naismith being like eh I guess it feels funny here, but I'm going to, you know, buy right. some postcards. Um, so it's just like it, that's such an interesting layer to his story also as an individual and as a kind of someone that we admire and celebrate, which I don't think that we should not do that. I just think it's it's great. Well, I think, to I think the point more. you made about celebration is, is important for the, the way we've approached this, um, because, you know, sports are at the same time, sort of unimportant, you know, in the grand scheme of things, they're unimportant compared to other things. But of course, they're incredibly important to so many people. And they are a reflection of, of 
what's going on in the world and politics and all that. And I think as, as Jews who, um, I, I think I can speak for Gabe here, you know, who, who have a strong identity as, as Jews, uh, not necessarily from a religious perspective, but a, a strong pride in the idea of being a Jew and what that means. Um, we sort of wanted to fill a void of, uh, of, of talking about Jews in sports because, you know, I, I think there's always the occasional story or, you know, people tell stories about Sandy Koufax or something like that. Um, but we, we wanted to do something that's sort of like a collected, um, uh, you know, omnibus of, of Jewish sports stories and Jewish sports news and, and let people approach their being a sports fan again, you know, celebrate in a celebratory way. Um, but let them approach that in a way of thinking about, you know, who's Jewish and how do I approach this as a Jew? Uh, and, and how do I celebrate all, all the, you know, Jewish greatness in, in athletics, which is, which is again, not, not necessarily the way most people think about their Judaism. Or, or think about Jewish success. You know, I think we think about um, as people who are at the forefront of their field in, in, in you know, science and, and art and things like that. But thinking about Jewish athletes, I, I think is important as well, just because I think Jews are as big sport fans as anyone in the world. I think we all grow up, you know, with our parents sending us chain emails about how many Jewish Nobel right. Prize winners there are. Oh my and God. Not and not necessarily how many Jewish World Series winners there's been. Yeah. There was a recent one about just like the cap, like Biden's cabinet members or something, you know, it's just exactly. like fo forwarded from multiple family members. It's that is a, it's, that's a, that's a very I've, particular thing. Our our uh, producer, Michael, likes to tell the joke that like the same chain emails go around between. Uh, Jewish parents and their kids and neo-Nazis. <laughs> oh, like God. the same emails that say like, look at all the Jewish people here. <laughs> Just over and over and over again. Well, and I think that goes back to that, like, sort of like acknowledge, like the the like the ownership, like saying like, look at all these Jewish owners, look what look what it took to maybe get them to the point where they could buy an NFL team or or whatever, things like that, like those stories of like perseverance, and a lot of these people, either themselves fled a country or their parents fled a country, um, and then they've built up their their um, sort of financial power um from from very little um and then that's also something that is then used oh, by the other side too to be like look at these people with money and power and like we can't I let them have all this control um, when we were doing one of the episodes about uh, maybe jewish basketball owners looking into whether or not somebody was jewish when it wasn't obvious about some owner and i was directed to a uh, a neo-nazi forum where they had been discussing the same thing Obviously, from a different perspective, is like, look at these Jews who who control sports. And you know, I guess my perspective is, I'm proud. Of, I'm proud of these guys. I mean, you know, I, I'm sure that there's the odd story of of you know slumlords like Donald Sterling, but for the most part, these guys made their money honestly, uh, one way or another. And and again, you know, there isn't a uh, there isn't a tradition of Jewish wealth in in America that goes back more than 80, 90, 100 years. So like. The, these are relatively recent stories or, or people who, you know, grew if up that. middle class and, and, and made a killing somewhere and, and good. And I'm proud of them. I'm proud of them that they put their money into sports and they, and they put their money into sports team ownership. And, you know, cause in a real way, that's a, you know, such, such a way to support a community, uh, the community that you live in. I think, I think Larry Tannenbaum, the Raptors owner is actually a great example of this story. Um, you know, he, his, he didn't make his family's money his parents did, but <laughs> You know, they they owned a concrete pouring company that that got the contract to dug, dig the Toronto subway. That's how their family got their money. But their company is called Kilmer Van Nostrand. 
which I'm pretty sure, I mean, this is just what it is. Like, I think nobody would hire Tannenbaum to dig a hole in 1950 in Toronto, but I'll hire a Van Nostrand. Right. Is I mean, Van Nostrand, is that is that a German name? I mean, is that... I think it's just sort of like generally pan-European. But sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Know, like, I don't think he would have gotten hired if his name was like Puccini either. Sure, yeah. But uh, uh, being, and now, I mean, you know, it's it's the the like big Jewish high school in the city is named after his parents. Like, so Larry Tannenbaum's like from, from that non, you know, pretending not to be Jewish industry life is now basically the yeah, and Jewish, visible name Jewish in the sports. And, you know, again, when he, uh, when we won the Larry O'Brien trophy, he lifted it up when we, 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 when, we all, when we all won it. <laughs> Sorry. Like not we, not we the, the three, three of us. us. We, the <laughs> no, we, not we, me. Us. When the Raptors won <laughs> that. Do not include when the, me. When the Raptors defeated the Golden State Warriors, four games to two, uh, 2019 oh, on the road in, 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 in the last game in, in Oakland, uh, a place that the team no longer plays, uh, when, when the Raptors won. Oh, I know, that's a whole other just, problem. I'm just, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just making it burn. In the last yeah, game. In that last game in Oakland. Uh, sure. when Larry o, Larry, sorry, when Larry Tannenbaum grabbed... Larry O'Brien lifted the Larry day, Tannenbaum yeah. trophy. When Larry Tannenbaum lifted the Larry O'Brien trophy. He said, he said right. Hugba, which is what you say when you're lifting the Torah. It was pretty cool. And uh, then he said that he was going to take the whole team to Israel in the offseason, and that never materialized. So who knows? That's why. As always, I am happy to share that this episode of Dear Adam Silver is brought to you by Bookman's. Bookman's Entertainment Exchange sells used books, records, movies, musical instruments, and more, and is a wonderful community-oriented store where the shelves are stocked with items brought in by the community. If you live in Arizona, support local business by shopping at Bookman's. And in addition to shopping, you can also trade your own used items in a Bookman's for cash or store credit. And Bookman's has curbside pickup for books ordered ahead of time and for selling in trades. Bookman's also has some wonderful events planned for the month ahead. April 1st is Independent Bookstore Day Bookshelfy Contest. The featured local artist for the month of April is Cumulative, whose work you can see here in Tucson at the Midtown location. And also coming up in April is a virtual poetry reading with local poet Lara Garcia and the 36th annual Tucson Folk Festival, both on April 10th. Please visit www.bookmans.com for more information and details about events and to find your nearest location. And remember... Bookman's has cool covered. I do want to ask you all, um, just because this this podcast originated with me believing that Adam Silver was was a mensch, uh, or at least a mensch in comparison to other commissioners of major sports leagues. And that was well, why many I felt... of whom tend to be Jewish, it seems. Well, many of whom have been Jewish in the last little while. Right. I don't think there's any direction towards that. Anyway, sorry. Go on. Go on with the question. No, I I was just thinking that um, he was a person that I could that that, you know, not a lot of podcasts are named after individuals. Like not everyone has an individual has a podcast named after them. And so that this was a way to get his attention was to be like this is a whole podcast called Dare Adam Silver. And sometimes I'm going to talk to him directly. But a lot of times I'm just going to talk about issues in sports that I think um, could use a different perspective or a non-traditional perspective. And um, I was just wondering how you guys feel about Adam Silver and um, your your takes on him as a mensch or, I mean, because I also think, you know, when he came into power, 
uh, as commissioner, it was so quickly that the Donald Sterling situation happened that he had this opportunity to really show that um, he just he handled things in a in a good way with that situation. And then since then, there's been times where I've been like, oh, couldn't you do this other thing? Um, I, you know, couldn't you make this other decision or this other choice? And, um, you know, he's he's probably thinking about a lot more things than I'm thinking about. But uh, I just I felt that he that this that my words, my my sort of dedication to basketball, expressing that to him might not fall on deaf ears like it might if I this was dear Roger Goodell. I mean, dear Roger Goodell would not be a thing. Right. Well, you know, I think Adam Silver is sort of emblematic of a, you know, post-war uh, Jewish existence. I think he grew up in like Westchester or something like that. Like dad was, dad was like a, a Proskauer Rose or something like that. Like somewhere, um, like a big, big global law firm, like, you know, grew up, he, he, he you know, I, I, he, he, sorry, he, he got his own uh, degree in law. I think Adam Silver did. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, sort of typical Jewish upbringing for someone growing up in the eighties, but then moved on to sports and, and, and took over the NBA and in the same, in the same way with the owners, I think it's something we should be proud of that there are so many Jews at the, the highest echelon of sports. And, and obviously he took over from David Stern, who is also Jewish. Um, but, uh, maybe slightly less, maybe Menchie. slightly less mentioned. <laughs> yeah. I think Adam, so sorry, David Stern had a more, um, domineering way. he had a real bulldog yeah exactly he, he got what he yeah. wanted he he bullied the unions and and things like that adam silver i think yeah did develop that early on with, with sterling and you know i think everyone was pretty impressed with how hard he came down on sterling and and that was a reflection i think of the players demands at the time you know there were stories about uh chris paul has said that you know they were planning on not playing a playoff game after the Don Sterling came out, stuff came out, but they were convinced to play in part because of the, the actions that the league were taking. Um, so I think that was, that was good to see in terms of his initial moves, but that's, you know, we're talking five, six years ago now in the last couple of years, ha- has he done that? You know, I think the NBA has, has um, carved out a, a role as sort of like the woke league for le- lack of a better word, um, which at times is good and, and, and times it's, I I've been impressed with their approach to sort of social justice issues, um, reflecting their players concerns about political issues that are going on and taking a real stand on that. At other times, I think they've kept quiet about all kinds of things. There are some, some, you know, exceptions. Yeah, look, I think China is, is, is probably the, uh, the best example of that last year, where it's just sort of like, you know, he understands the way, uh, the game works and how, how, um, how the money coming in from China is important to the game. And, you know, he couldn't uh, be political on that or, or stand behind Daryl Morey on that when he made comments uh, supporting uh, protesters in Hong Kong. So that was a little disappointment, disappointing. But at the end of the day, I mean, you know, he's beholden to the owners about, uh, and, and they're beholden to their, to their, uh, to their bottom lines. One thing I found very interesting about that Donald Sterling thing, and I still, re- I remember this specifically during the time, you know, it happened. But, uh, uh, you know, rather the time the Sterling thing happens, I remember in the press conference, he was asked if Sterling's comments as racism offends him as a Jew. And Adam Silver said, well, it offends me as a human being. Um, and I think that's sort of, you know, that's that in my mind is reflective of sort of the new face of the NBA is that it really represents something that that the league was willing to allow its players to stand up for not only themselves, but to sort of stand up for uh, a work towards decency. It's you know, I, I happen to be a big LeBron James fan, but I think, you know, LeBron is, is really never been shy about how he, A, he wants to spend his money for political good and what he believes political good is. I mean, he took on Trump pretty much head on on Twitter in order to defend Steph Curry. 
who, you know, is a, a you know, theoretically a, a, an enemy of his, his. And I know a lot of players, you know, a lot of old school basketball fans and maybe some players would say like, oh, you know, you're trying to beat him. You don't need to be on his side. But no, I think I think that today's NBA is a lot about using your platform to to promote good. Um, and I think Silver has been a honestly, I think he's been whether or not he's been important in it. I think he is smart enough to, you know, let Curry cook or to, to borrow a phrase or to sort of let LeBron be LeBron and and know what to promote and know when not to. And I know, you know, being if you search LeBron James on Twitter for 20 seconds you find like the most horrifying racist stuff you could imagine uh and and he's still the most popular and most famous basketball player in the world because in my mind he knows how to use his platform to get a real message out um you know he was campaigning for hillary clinton like on the stage talking about how she was his hero which is like not something you would have seen it's not republicans buy sneakers anymore yeah he's a a mensch for sure too. Um, I was just thinking if I could turn mensch into like mensenger, like messenger, like you're saying, <laughs> <laughs> like someone who's good at communicating their their menchiness. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's I, I I do think you know, and, and with the Don Sterling situation, it was so known that Don Sterling was like a. I mean, I didn't know this at the time. I was like not up on my ownership information at that time, but um, that like people knew that he had been a problem before. And so that Adam Silver was yeah. not just not just like putting out, you know, he was also like solving a long-term issue by by pushing him out of the league and kind of like setting an example. And um, I think that, you know, I, I think that the, the China situation is really um, awful. And, and also that, you know, David Stern worked so hard to get basketball to be a global sport and now like that is a huge issue for for Adam Silver and how he handles that um and that's something that that I think is going to get harder and harder and I hope that he fig they figure out a better way well, to to look it's it's hard to put the entirety of uh, you know Chinese human rights abuses on the on the shoulders of sure. Adam Silver <laughs> Uh, there's a group of there's a group of, of Falun Gong who who um, have a permanent spot outside of my office building, and uh, they have a big banner that says uh, "Sign our petition to end the Chinese Communist Party." And whenever I see it, I kind of think, you know, it's going to take more than a petition. So I, I kind of feel the same way. It's going to take more than the NBA to uh, to change China, change China, and, and looking out for his his owners is is not necessarily the worst thing, but. I guess I'd like to see a little more from Sterling, but uh, I agree. Sorry, more from more, more from, from Silver. From Silver. More from Dear Silver. Silver. We would like to see more from Sterling you. Silver. But yeah. I, agree. I am impressed. I, I was impressed with how he dealt with Sterling and how he, you know, basically forced him to sell the team. I, I can't. I can't think of a time an owner had been forced to sell a team in a situation like that simply for for being an odious human being. So that that was impressive. Yeah. And our polit like politicians, especially conservative politicians, are very quick to criticize the NBA, even though they have more. I mean, especially the senators like have much more power to I think make make actual change um, than than the NBA. So it shouldn't all rest on the NBA's shoulders. Um, I, I I totally agree, and I think some of my frustrations with him are also sometimes just around the anthem, like that. I think there could be. You know, just what recently happened with the NBA kind of reiterating a stance about, like, you have to play the anthem before every game uh, to the Dallas Mavericks. Um, I just think that, like, 
uh, th- that is what I have when I've actually like, written letters to Adam Silver. What I've addressed is like, let the game change and let like the rituals around the game change. It's, you know, because it's not, doesn't need to be the same always. Um, and, and he has not, uh, written me back with with what i want to hear just yet yet not yet yet Yet. i I find the anthem controversy so so strange like you know it had turned out you know for at least when after colin kaepernick kaepernick made headlines that apparently and i only learned this when this happened but demar Derozan was a raptor for a long time and he had never stood for the national anthem you know he did a handful of times he mostly spent it sitting on the bench and and nobody noticed and nobody cared and then it became an issue where everyone had to have an opinion. Um, in in twenty, I guess in t- two thousand three, I guess seventeen years ago, um, the Blue Jays had a player named Carlos Delgado, who also stopped standing for the U.S. national anthem because he was protesting the war in Iraq. And you know, it was Canada, and we also pro like the country. We we weren't in the Iraq war, so like that was seen as for the most part like okay. Um, there was some controversy around it, but like he kept doing it. It it just went on. Um, and it's I find it very interesting how I think it it like we talked about basketball as sort of this front for social change. Unfortunately, it seems like it's going both ways. Um, and I think Adam Silver sort of has been forced to make a devil's bargain in that sense, where bringing this stuff to the forefront, you know, he also also has to figure out how to deal with the inevitable blow blowback. In some cases, it has been acquiescing to the racists but in other cases it seems that he is willing to let the conversation happen which i goes back to your your kenny or your chuck and kenny and richard spencer point that like to some degree you have to be glad that somebody's willing to expose the conversation and i think that's got to be the right approach of the nba of of any professional sports league it's got it's the most star driven you know we we know who these guys are we know what they look like like they're not wearing a helmet they're not obstructed um the, the the fact that uh, you know, it's been, Le- LeBron's been in the league for, you know, 18 years now. He's, he's probably as famous a person on earth as anyone. Michael Jordan was probably the most recognizable person in the world at a period for a period of time. And, uh, you know, I think you, you, so silver has recognized that he can't fight the players on this, or it's not a winning position to, to fight the players on this, that, you know, they have increasingly, uh, had voices politically and uh, he's not going to stand in the way of that. And, you know, it, it makes sense that that, or it's not unsurprising that that's happened in a league that is um, majority black and, or you know, more, more than just a majority, but uh, mm-hmm. you know, has a number of outspoken black players who have taken an interest in racial justice uh, over the last many years that, you know, there is, there is a way to uh, nurture that and take advantage of that, not, not stimulate, you know, cause you know, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, or 50 years ago, whenever, when there were players who were more political, um, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar or something like that, I think the goal of the league was just to get them to, you know, shut up and and, and not talk about those things, not air them publicly. And uh, now the NBA seems like more of a forum for these things to, to be part of the conversation. You know, the WNBA probably 10 times more so, but... but uh, yeah, yeah. It, Shout out to Sue Bird, who is my oh, yeah. big, favorite big Jewish, warmer. Uh, yeah, huge mentor. Well, not so much a warmer, but yeah, like support. Yeah, that's she's true. <laughs> she supports the other bench warmers, and she's Real a mensch. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, it's, yeah, it's been amazing absolutely. to see that in the WNBA and and in the and yeah. in the NBA as well. And I think we like saw. I, I mean, just like the sorry, just the perfect example of that was what the uh, Atlanta Dream did in regards to Kelly Loeffler. Like, exactly that. 
just absolutely like changed the trajectory of that race, like in a really incredible way. And um, also, and she sold the team, right? She's out, <laughs> and Renee Montgomery is in. Like, it's just such a, it's just like, it's, it just, it's, it's huge. It's a huge deal. And I think that it's, in, for lack of a better word, it's inspirational as far as like what you can do when you like band together. And I think that, you know, going back to what you mentioned about um, LeBron sticking up for Steph and just being like, hey, Donald Trump, you're a bum. Like, Steph doesn't have to go. Like, I think that the NBA, the players, in the NBA, like, totally know that like they have power collectively that they don't have so much individually and I think mm. that there's a lot of wonderful things that can happen um, and have and ha- I mean I think wonderful is a weird word but uh, productive or um, just like forward-thinking things that can that can uh, be accomplished when they kind of come together yeah well those are most of my those are most of my questions. Um, but no this is this has been a lot of fun thanks for having us on this has been really really fun of chat of course thanks for Making time. Uh, this has been wonderful. I'm so glad we got some banter, my favorite thing, <laughs> about so much stuff. Take care. Stay safe in the for the remainder of this pandemic. I hope shots are, are on the way for both of you. Yeah, likewise, yeah. I mean, yeah. you're already shot, but soon. Yeah, yeah <laughs> totally. Well, we'll talk soon and uh, take great. care. Thanks so much. This is great. Take Absolutely. care. Absolutely. Thanks Bye. for having us. This yeah. was a lot of fun. <laughs>